Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. If you don't have scriptures with you, the scriptures will be on the screen from the New King James Version, beginning at verse 46. When you have it, can you say amen? Somebody said, hold on, I'm still trying, Pastor, hold on. Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 46. The scripture reads, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him. From generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her house. With the Lord's help, I'd like to preach a message today entitled, God is not done surprising you. God is not done surprising you. Let's pray. Father God, it's good for us to be here because your son is here. He is in our hearts. We love him only because he loved us first, only because he demonstrated love towards us in that while we were still in our sin, Jesus died. He didn't wait for us to get it together because he knew that we couldn't. But I thank you, Jesus, that you made the payment, the sacrifice for our sins so that we could not only be right with God but have a relationship, fellowship with your Father. Thank you for giving us the Holy Spirit. We need him now to teach us the word of God. We need need him to illuminate these things from off the pages and into our hearts and into our feet and into our hands that we will be more than hearers of the word but we will with your help be doers. I pray for that person who's hurting today, that person who's wondering, where are you? They may feel like it's been a long time since they've seen you show up in their lives. I pray, Lord, that this word will quicken them, give them hope, encourage them, Lord, that you are still able to surprise them. Thank you for the life of Mary and what we see in these verses. Unfold them now. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Amen. 
the church is notorious for using terminology that hardly anyone understands. It's one thing when unbelievers don't understand some of the terms that the church uses. But it's something else when the church doesn't even understand the terms that the church uses. And one of those terms we use, especially during this season, is the word Advent. And if I went around and polled you and gave a quiz on what does this word mean that we hear quite a bit, what, what does it actually mean? I bet you we get a whole bunch of different answers concerning what Advent is. Well, I've come here to try to set the record straight this morning to tell you what Advent is. The English word Advent means coming or arrival, coming. And it stems from the Greek word parousia. And this word in the New Testament, it's a Greek word, parousia, which speaks of the coming of the Lord, parousia, the coming of the Lord. The Advent speaks of the coming of the Lord. Parousia is used 24 times in the New Testament. The majority of them speak about the coming of the Lord in his second coming. It also speaks about the coming of the Antichrist. But by and large, it speaks about the parousia, the coming of the Lord Jesus, because he's coming again. Uh, Santa Claus is not coming. Jesus is coming. Amen. And what... Christmas, this season does, this tradition of Advent, it causes us to celebrate the first coming of Christ and it puts us in anticipation of the second coming of Christ. So Advent, the coming of the Lord. We celebrate the God who came and we anticipate the God who will come. You see, the one who came is the same one who's coming, but when he comes this time, it's going to be different than the first time because the first time he came as a lamb, the second time he's coming back as a lion. The first time he came as a babe, but he's coming back as the son of God, as a man in all of his glory. So Advent, we worship the babe, but we also thank God for the man who is coming. We thank God. Advent, it gets us in the mindset to realize that, yes, uh, life is good, but there's more to life than this life. And the same God who came is coming again, and it postures our hearts to prepare for his coming. So we look at the fact he came to know that he is coming. And the wonderment of Advent is the anticipation of the arrival of the Messiah. Because when Jesus came, by and large, he took people by surprise. But there were some people looking for the consolation of Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon them, revealing to them that the Messiah had been born. The wise men from the east, the Spirit of God spoke to them, and they saw the star. They knew that the Christ had been born. But by and large, folks, they were surprised at the coming of Jesus, and that's how it's going to be with the second coming because the second coming shouldn't take the church by storm. We shouldn't be sleep. We should be awake. 
We should be ready. Why? Because we live our lives every day practicing the presence of the Lord. We live our lives every day seeking the kingdom of God. We love the Lord. We think of him. We read his word. We worship him. So his cracking the sky, whether you hear the trumpet, however God is going to do it, he's not going to take us by surprise. But by and large, the world will be caught off guard. God is surprising the world through the sensational appearing of his son. Yes, 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 Jesus is coming, and it's going to be a surprise to a lot of people. And in the Christmas story here, we see surprise. We, we see wonderment. We, we see surprise. God surprised Zechariah. Well, Zechariah, because the story begins with him as he's in the temple, The lot falls on him to go in and minister before the Lord in the Holy of Holies. The angel Gabriel shows up and begins to speak to him and tells him that his prayers have been heard and he's going to have a son named John the Baptist. He, He was surprised by the glory and the appearance of Gabriel. But not only was he surprised, God surprised Elizabeth because he had to leave up out of there and go home and tell his wife, who was an old lady, that's what the Bible says, that we're going to have a child. That surprised her. If she was in a rocking chair, she might have rocked out of that bad boy. Say what? (laughs) Not being able to have a child all of this time and the scorn that I get in this society of being a woman who can't give birth. Now all of a sudden you're telling me an angel appeared to you and you know he can't talk. Because of his unbelief, Gabriel judged him. Because he questioned what he had been praying for, and when it showed up, he doubted it. Then the angel said, I'm in the presence of God, man. You're going to be smoked with uh, 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 your your muteness until the the baby is born. So that means he had to leave up out of there and motion to everybody about what he saw. He was like, you know, "Mm -hmm, mm -hmm." (laughs) So Elizabeth was surprised. Mary was surprised. Gabriel showed up to her house too and told her things that she was not expecting nor anticipating. She was surprised. Joseph was surprised. Say, what now? Uh, My wife is pregnant through the Lord and I'm still supposed to marry her on the set day? He was surprised. The Christmas story is about surprise. Herod was surprised. There's another king. Say what? You know I'm threatened. You you, you know I'm a narcissist with a thin uh, veneer of self-confidence, so I'm very fragile. Uh, uh, What? Another king? He was surprised. The shepherds were surprised when they were out in the field at night and the heavenly chorus came and began to worship and God uh, manifested his plan to these lowly shepherds. They were surprised that night. Everybody was surprised with this Christmas story. And the facilitator of the surprise was none other than the Holy Spirit. He was working something. He was cooking up something, the Holy Spirit. And when we read the Christmas story in Luke and in Matthew, look for the moving of the Holy Spirit. Because Mary couldn't have had the experience of birthing 
Jesus without the aid of the earthly father, without the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. He, he's instigating this whole narrative here. He's facilitating it. Why? Because just in this passage alone from Luke 1, we see that the Holy Spirit filled John the Baptist. Because when Zechariah and Elizabeth got together, she got pregnant with John the Baptist. In Luke chapter 1, when Mary shows up, she is six months pregnant. And when Mary walks in, having Jesus in her womb in just a matter of days or weeks, as she walks in carrying Jesus, John the Baptist fulfilled his purpose in life, which was to be the forerunner of the Lord. And the Bible says he leaped in his mother's womb at six months when Mary walked in with Jesus just a few days or weeks old in her womb. And so Luke chapter 1 verse 15, Gabriel told Zechariah, he said, your son is going to be filled with the Holy Spirit from the womb. From the womb. So when he leaps like that, that is the Holy Spirit moving on him. That is the Holy Spirit filling a six-month, in today's vernacular, fetus. And he fulfills his purpose right there in the womb. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. The thing about the Holy Spirit is that when he starts filling folk, he's a river. He, he likes to drench and fill folks who are standing in proximity to folks who are filled. So baby gets filled, mama gets filled. And that's what the Bible says. Mary or Elizabeth gets filled and she begins to speak. But more than speak, Strong Tower, listen to this. She prophesies. She begins to prophesy. And you cannot prophesy without the Holy Spirit. You can prophesy without the Holy Spirit, but you can't prophesy without. She began to prophesy, and she said things that only God could reveal to her. Because check this out. Unless Mary told her by some kind of communication in those days that she was pregnant, that's the only way Elizabeth would know that when Mary showed up that she was pregnant too. But no, no, let, let, let's not think in contemporary times. They didn't have email. They, they didn't have Facebook and all that stuff. No, when Mary showed up, it's still in the sixth month, meaning that time went quickly. Or, or rather, it did not move. A, a, a lot of time did not pass, rather. So when she gets the word from Gabriel that she's going to carry the Messiah, and Gabriel says, and your cousin is also pregnant. She's in her sixth month. Mary shows up. She's still in her sixth month. Elizabeth. So not a lot of time has transpired to send a wire out. So when she gets there, there's no way Elizabeth knows that her cousin is pregnant with the Messiah unless the Holy Ghost tells her by prophecy that she's carrying the Son of God. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. That you can't fake that. You can't manufacture that. You can't cookie cut that. You just got to get in the flow of that. So the spirit moves and she prophesies. She's filled with the spirit. And she speaks to Mary and she says to Mary, blessed is she or blessed are you who believe for there will be fulfillment of those, those things which were told you from the Lord. So she speaks to her younger cousin and she says, bless you because you believe the promises of God. So she's ministering one generation to another through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
And so John the Baptist, baby John, BJ, man, JB, he gets filled and he leaps. Mama gets filled, she speaks and prophesies. And then Mary gets filled and what does she do? She starts singing. I didn't say singing, I said singing. Because we're about to get into her song. That was produced, breathed, created by the Holy Spirit. Because when the Holy Spirit fills you, listen to this, he will lead you to do something you would normally not do. Now, I know some churches you go to, they're not going to talk about the Holy Spirit at all. And in some churches, that's all they do is talk about the Holy Spirit. Somewhere there's balance. And if the Holy Spirit is moving, he's going to bring glory to Jesus and not to people who have the gifts of the Spirit. It's going to all be about Jesus. And so the Holy Spirit, when he fills you, he will lead you to do something you would normally not do that will bring glory to Jesus and not to yourself. He fills John, he leaps. He fills Elizabeth, she speaks. He fills Mary, she sings. When he fills you, what do you do that you would normally not do? And when Mary sings again, she's going to freestyle a song. It's just going to come up, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But when he fills us, sometimes it might lead some of us who never cry to cry. When he fills you. And the Holy Spirit begins to bubble up and just take control. And some of us with them stone eyes that never cry, we'll find ourselves crying. And we may even be like Zechariah. We may not even speak because of joy unspeakable. Have you ever been filled like that where you don't even know what to say? Where God just overcomes you and overpowers you and overwhelms you? And like the angels in Isaiah chapter 6, you cover your mouth. Oh, when he fills some of us, we may do some stuff we've never done, like shout. You do know that, that it's loud up in here in Luke chapter 1. Because when Elizabeth gets filled, she speaks loudly. And so for some of us who are quiet, calm, prim, proper, serene, that's cool. But when the Holy Ghost hits you every now and then, you're going to break out of character and start shouting. And that might then even move to a dance. I normally don't dance, but when the Holy Spirit comes, you're going to dance. You're going to do stuff you normally don't do. You're going to clap. Even on rhythm and beat, you're going to clap. Holy Ghost is filling. He's moving. I'm doing stuff I normally don't do for the glory of Jesus. I might just jump. I just might leap. I just might sing. I just might laugh when I should be crying. <laughs> I'm laughing. He, he's giving me this joy. Not only that, for some of us, when the Holy Spirit moves, we might speak in other languages. For others, we may interpret what has been said in other languages. We may prophesy. We may give. We may forgive. Because some of us like, man, I'll never forgive my dad for what he did. I'll never forgive that teacher who told me I would never amount to anything. But when the Spirit fills you, you begin to do things you would not and could not do in your own strength, which is why we need the Holy Spirit. Shame on us for having help but not relying on help to live for God. We got help, but how many times do we get up and live like practical atheists? 
and wonder why stuff ain't working in our lives, wonder why our marriages drop, wonder why things aren't happening on the job, our children are this or that. Are you relying on the power that God has given you through the Holy Ghost? Oh, he's given us help. Let's use the help. And sometimes we will forgive. We'll apologize. What? You're apologizing? God must be moving. Yes, he is. He'll lead you to evangelize. I never share my faith, but when the spirit moves, I'm going to share my faith. Because Jesus said you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. You will testify about me. So for those of us who say, I don't have the gift of evangelism, and a lot of us don't, but we have the responsibility to evangelize, but we can't do that without the Holy Spirit. You ever found yourself talking to somebody about the Lord, and he's bringing scriptures back that you haven't read in a long time, and he's putting your words together, he's allowing you to have wisdom to answer their questions? That's the Holy Spirit. That's not you. You're not that smart. It's the Holy Spirit. You start praying for somebody, and again, things come out of your prayer for that person. Where did that come? There's a well in you, the Holy Spirit, the living water, and, 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 and the bucket goes down into the well and pours stuff out of your mouth that you didn't even know was there. And it's the Spirit of God working and moving. It's a beautiful thing, nothing to be feared. And some of us, when the Spirit fills us, we'll have visions. We'll dream dreams. Others of us will be blessed with a boldness that we would normally not have. And the Holy Spirit does these things and so much more when he fills us. And we see he's filling these folks in this narrative here. And when he fills you, he always brings joy. Joy. You don't want to be a lemon-baptized Christian. Looking sour all of the time. And where's your joy? Though he slay me, yet I'm going to trust him. The outward man is wasting away, but the inward man is being renewed. I'm trading my sorrows. Uh, take this pain and give me your grace. I want to get into your presence so that it will change my countenance. If you are a Christian and folks know you as being mean and snarly and all of that, you need to go back into the presence of the Lord and, and get that checked. Come on now. God is on the throne. Jesus has risen from the dead. It's all right. Smile. Even if you got some missing teeth, smile. Don't nobody want to come to Christ and you look all mean? What? <laughs> Man. The Holy Spirit is working. There are two women here, Strong Tower. One, two women, one old one young, and both are experiencing the impossible with God, okay? They're both experiencing, because in Luke 1, verse 37, it says, for with God, nothing will be impossible, and it's speaking about the birth, that, that Mary is going to have a child without the aid of a man, and Elizabeth is having a child with the aid of her old husband. For with God, nothing will be impossible. So these two sisters are both experiencing the impossible with God. And God is not done doing the impossible. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. His methods change, but he does not change. 
So he's not done doing the impossible. God is not done doing the miraculous. Anybody need a miracle? And a miracle is when God enters into time and space and he does something that man cannot do or take credit for. I need a miracle. I need God to turn it around. And God is not done surprising us. He's not done. You, your, the, your best days are the rest of your days. The stuff he did in the past is just to give you hope and courage that he can do it again. So when you come to another Red Sea, you have some experience that he didn't parted that thing before. But he's not done doing the impossible and the miraculous and surprising you. Really, it's just beginning. God still surprises me so often in my life. Let's see how God surprised Mary with this song here. Luke 1, verse 46. Are you with me? Luke 1, 46. So Elizabeth prophesies to Mary. And Mary responds by saying, my soul magnifies the Lord. My soul magnifies the Lord. In other words, my inmost being magnifies the Lord. The word magnifies in the Greek language is megalunai. Megalunai. When you hear mega, you know that speaks of big or large. Megalunai. And this word magnify, megalunai, means to make bigger. So if you have a magnifying glass or you look at something and it makes it bigger, you have corrective, whatever these lenses are called, where you look down at the bottom and the letters get bigger. Uh, uh, when we started church, I left my glasses inside. I knew I needed them because I couldn't see the print. But these things are like magnifying glass. I could burn an ant with these things if I hold it to the light. And I look, and now I can see. It, it, it makes the letters bigger. And when we think about magnifying God, we are not making him bigger. <laughs> Impossible. He, the highest heavens cannot contain who he is. It, it ain't about making God bigger. It's about acknowledging how big God is. That's what worship is. It's acknowledging how big he is. He's bigger than me. He's bigger than my problems. He's bigger than my issues. He's bigger than my enemies. He's bigger than these circumstances. He's bigger. I'm acknowledging how big he is. And the more I look at him, the smaller these things look. Which is why when I'm going through, the enemy in my flesh don't want me to worship, don't want me to get into God's presence. Because the minute I get into God's presence, I may walk in like a pussycat, but when I get in his presence, I'm walking out like a lion, a child of God that's bold in his righteousness for God. There's something about his presence. So when I magnify him in spite of what I'm going through, when I magnify him in spite of what I see, when I acknowledge how big he is, and that's what Mary is saying. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. Now, now here we go. The Latin translation, because after the Bible was written in Greek, it was then translated from Greek into Latin, I believe by a cat named Jerome. And he wrote this thing called the Vulgate. And so the Latin translation of the Greek megalunai is the word magnificat. Magnificat. And so in our Christian tradition, Protestant tradition, we hear this portion of scripture referred to as the Magnificat. The Magnificat. And that's just speaking of the fact that Mary is magnifying the Lord. This is a song that she is glorifying the Lord and praising the Lord. And to my songwriters here, this is Music City. 
Let me just give you four quick things about Mary's song. Four quick things about Mary's song. Number one, it was birthed by the Holy Spirit. What she's about to say is coming from the Spirit of God. And so as we create, those of us who create, let us not leave out the Lord in the process of creation. You know, let's invite him in when we're writing our music, when we're writing our songs, because he can write it a whole lot better than you. He's got a lot of experience of writing hits. There's 66 hits right here in this book I'm holding. And he authored all of these. So let him help you write your song. Not only did the Holy Spirit author this and birth this song, her song is grounded in Scripture. Okay, so when she starts saying what she's going to say by the Holy Spirit, it's going to be unscripted, it's going to be spontaneous, but it's also going to be steeped and grounded in biblical truth. Because the way she says it, it's laid out like a psalm. In the Bible, the way she she says this, it reminds you of Hannah's song in 1 Samuel 2, another lady who couldn't have a child. And then when God visited her, Eli, the the priest, said that God is going to answer your prayer. And she gets a child and she dedicates Samuel back to the Lord. And a lot of what Mary is saying is kind of reminiscent to what Hannah was saying, which means that Mary was in her word, and the word was hidden in her heart. So when the Holy Spirit put the bucket down, word came up out of her mouth through this spontaneous moment. So if you're going to write something, make sure it's consistent with biblical truth. Make sure you've got some word in you that the Spirit can pull out as you write. But not only that, this song that Mary wrote not only was birthed by the Spirit and was grounded in Scripture, y'all, it has a hook. There's a hook up in here because you got to have a hook. The hook is the part people remember. The hook is the part that's catchy. And I got to tell you, when you look at this rich Hebrew poetry, there's a hook in it. What's the hook? Eight times in this song, Mary is going to say, he has, he has, he has, he has, he has, he has. What's the point? Because if he don't do it, it won't get done. He has done great things. So the hook is what God does. The hook is he has done. He has. He's working. He has. That's the hook. So if you're going to have a song, you got to have a good hook. But then finally, her song has three stanzas. Three stanzas. The first stanza is what God has done for Mary. The second stanza is what God has done for us. And the third stanza is what God has done for Israel. So this morning, I'm going to preach the first stanza. I'm going to preach the first stanza. And uh, next Sunday, my wife is going to preach the second stanza. And then the Sunday before Christmas, I'll preach the third stanza from the Magnificat. Are you ready? Handles, Messiah, man, this is the stuff that inspired that. So here we go. Mary, she begins to sing her song. And in the first stanza, she's talking about what God has done for her. And the first thing we're going to see is that he saved her. Look at verse 47. And my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. 
Holy Spirit is filling her, and she's thanking God, magnifying God, glorifying God. And off the top, she's saying, I'm thankful that God is my Savior. Is anybody glad to be saved today? Is anybody thankful to know God is your Savior today? I'm not lost no more. I'm saved, and I'm kept. Thank you, Lord. So she's shouting. She's excited. She's saved. And the only people who need a Savior are people who know that they are sinners. Huh? Only people who need a Savior are people who know that they are sinners. And Mary was a sinner. Despite certain uh, streams of church history, different denominations that would like to speak of her as this person who never sinned. No, that's not true. She says right here, God is my Savior, and God saves sinners. You don't believe me? Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, when Gabriel is speaking to Joseph, he tells him, this is after he spoke to Mary, he then comes to him and says, look, your wife is going to have a son, and you're going to call him Jesus. You ain't calling him Matthew Jr., okay? Don't, 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 don't try to insert your name in there. No, his name is Jesus Jehovah saves. The Lord is salvation is what Jesus means. Yeshua. That's what it means. And he will save his people from their sins. So he is coming on a mission to save people from their sins. So when Mary says he's my savior, she's saying that this embryo in my womb is the one who has come to save me. And I trust in God through him to save me from my sin. Oh, my, this is good news. This is good news. And, and, and Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's what Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. He said, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. And Mary could say to Paul, no, no, I'm the worst. And then I could say to both of them, no, I'm the worst. And you should testify and say, no, I'm the worst. Jesus came for people just like me, just like you, and just like his mother, Mary. So as my friend Buddy Green writes in Mary, did you know, the one whom you deliver will soon deliver you when he dies on the cross. Because there are usually two extremes with Mary. There are two extremes. Either some will worship her or some will ignore her. Some will worship her and call her the mother of God. Now, she's the earthly mother of Jesus, but she's not the mother of God. God doesn't have a mother. God is God. He is. He doesn't have a mother. God is the father. He doesn't have a mother. Now, Jesus had an earthly mother, but she was not to be elevated to a place where we worship her. She was a vessel that God used. So I grew up in a tradition that would go against Catholicism where Mary would get a whole lot of juice and Jesus wouldn't really get a whole lot of attention in many, not all, Catholic traditions. So I grew up in a kind of Protestant uh, strain where, where Mary would be ignored and what she did would be belittled. But I'm here to say, what does the Bible say? The Bible says that she's blessed and she's blessed among women. Not above women, but among women, which means we should give honor to whom honor is due. Because she's carrying the Messiah. And she's going to raise him up. 
She's going to be there at the cross. So, so we honor Mary. We don't worship her. We surely don't ignore her, but we honor her and we thank God for her. And I just wonder if she can say that God is her Savior. If there's somebody in here today who says, I want to be able to say that today, but I don't know him. I don't know the Lord. Today is the day, man. Today you can know him. You can know him right now while you're sitting in your seat. You don't have to wait for me to give an invitation. You can trust Jesus right now. But then, for those of us who know him, when's the last time you told somebody that you know him? Yeah, he's my savior, but is it a secret? Tell somebody. Tell the world. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. How are they going to know? Through us testifying. But secondly, not only did he save her, y'all, he regarded her. Look at verse 48. For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. And so she says he regarded me. Regard means he's looked upon me. He didn't look past me. He looked upon me. The most high looked low. I'm so glad he looks low. And she said, he regarded me. And she says, I was lowly. So she didn't have a high, you know, where she was trying to promote herself. She, she recognized she was humble. She was lowly. And then she says, I'm a maidservant. And in that day and time, that terminology speaks of being on the lower rung of society. She wasn't born with a silver spoon in her mouth. She had some things against her in that culture. She was lowly. She was a maidservant. Number one, she was a woman. And Jewish men, many of them disrespected women and put women on the level of cattle, animals, and property. And they would thank God that he didn't create them as women. Those were your Pharisees and your Sadducees. And, and women were put down. And so Mary is in a place where, where she's kind of at a disadvantage from a systemic and societal position. She's a woman, and women would get disrespected, by and large, in that culture, in that time. Not only was she a woman, she was young, more than likely a teenager. She was from Galilee in the north. And Jews in the south were prejudiced against folk in the north because they were close to the uh, uh, pagan cities and uh, dwelling places but in Judah in the south we're close to the temple we're close to God but you folks up north y'all not spiritual and not only is she from Galilee and has the dialect of a Galilean she's not from the south with the drawl and the holy slang and they drink iced tea and everything's all right she got the nerve to live in Nazareth so she's not only in the north Galilee she's in a despised city Nazareth because remember when Nathaniel heard that Jesus had come, they were like, where he come from? They said, from Nazareth. Homeboy said, Nazareth, can anything good come up from out of there? In other words, that place had a bad reputation. It was said to be a garbage dump area. Can anything good come out of the hood? <laughs> but that's how God works, and my wife will hit this next week. God uses the foolish things to confound the wise. God, God calls the lowly to confront those who are exalted in their pride and in their ego. God will use the least of these among us. God will use women. God will use children. God will use teenagers. And God will use poor folk. Because she's poor. Pastor High, you know you poor. You eisegeting the text. You reading stuff into it. No, I'm not. 
because later they're going to have to make an offering at the temple when you have a man child, when you have a boy, you go to the temple. And if you cannot afford to offer turtle doves, doves, the law allowed you to offer pigeons. And so this family didn't have a lot of money, which is why when the wise men came when Jesus was about two years old, he was a toddler when they came. When they came, they brought gifts of gold, myrrh, frankincense. Well, guess what? That was what they used to finance their trip to go into Africa, into Egypt, to flee Herod's decree to kill all the boys two years old and under. They didn't have the money, but God surprised them and gave them what they needed. He's the God who surprises. So she's poor, but God chose her. And you have stuff against you. You're a sinner. You're a woman. You're from this part of town. You didn't go to school. You've been to jail. You've been on drugs. You got married. Uh, you had a child out of wedlock. You got a divorce. God's used to working with sinners. You can't present a scenario to him that his grace cannot superpound and work through and use your scars as stories. How can you not serve a God like that? Oh, my goodness, my goodness. I got to move on. I got to move on. Finally, she said in this first stanza, not only did he save me, not only did he regard me, but he did great things for me. Look at verse 49. Look, look, look what she said. For he who is mighty has, he has done great things for me. She's filled with the Holy Spirit. She's magnifying God. And she is acknowledging that he has done great things. Girl, you're just a teenager. What has he done for you? Well, Pastor Chris, he chose me. The Bible says that she found favor with God. And the only reason she found favor was because God first gave her favor. Favor doesn't start with us. It starts with God. So when God finds favor with Noah, when God finds favor with Chris, it's because he gave me the favor that he finds in me. The favor he gave her. I like that rhyme right there. The favor he gave her. <laughs> he sent an angel to her house. Now, you may rewrite over that and think nothing of it, but when the last time an angel came in your house? Huh? And you knew it. Gabriel just ain't showing up everywhere to everybody. So this is a, a great thing. And when he comes in and all of his radiance and his brilliance, this is a great moment. She's dialoguing with someone who has been in the presence of God, the very portals of heaven. This is great. He overshadows her. The Holy Spirit overshadows her doing the impossible and placing in her womb the embryo of the Son of God. That's great. The immaculate conception the miraculous conception can't explain it we just believe it God does the impossible great things she already said he saved me that's great then she says uh he also gave me a husband yeah 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 that's a great thing because Joseph is her fiance who in that time when you got engaged or betrothed together it was as good as marriage and it was legally binding and so she not only had a man, which is a great thing, but she had a man who listened to God. Because when he was ready to go out the door, God had to speak to him and say, no, don't you be afraid to take her now. 
And he not only listened to God, he obeyed God. That's a great thing when you got a man. Now, 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 ladies, can I get a witness? Don't leave me by myself. When you got a man and then your man listen to God and obey God, that's a great thing. Amen. Single sisters don't hate. Celebrate. Come on now. Okay. I'm about to say God can surprise you. All right? So, so hey, 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 hey. Hold on. I'm going somewhere. Uh, uh, he not only gave her a husband, he also kept her sexually pure. She was a virgin. And uh, she couldn't take any credit for that because she could have gone out and done something like some of the other girls. She could have been raped, molested, but God kept her. That's a great thing. And if you're still a virgin or a spiritual virgin, that's a great thing. Oh, my. And it should be celebrated in the presence of God. And then he gave her safe travel mercies to Elizabeth's house. Because she had to go from this place to that place. And you cannot take traveling for granted. Especially when you're carrying Jesus in your womb. You don't think the devils were trying to stop her and kill her and frustrate her? But when God orders your steps, he'll take care of you. What he prophesies to you, he will bring to pass. And you won't carry this child full term. You, you, n- 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 but don't you think those devils were trying? God gave her safe passage. And then God calls her blessed. That's great. And we need to start calling ourselves what God calls us. Stop saying I'm a mess. I, I ain't going to ever get it together. No, no. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I'm a saint. I'm a child of God. Oh, man, Tony Evans, one of my mentors, says, you know God is showing up when he shows up in a way that you can't explain. You know God is showing up when he shows up in a way that you can't explain it. So God surprised Mary. He surprised her with a son. He surprised her with a song. And he wasn't done surprising her. He wasn't done. Because in a little bit, she's going to see God work when angels start coming down out of heaven and stuff and singing songs. And, 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 and so she's going to see more wonderment and glory and surprise. She's going to be at a wedding one day, and, 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 and she's the directress of the wedding, and they're going to run out of wine, and she's going to turn to a son, and he's going to help her and turn water into wine. She's going to keep seeing surprises and glory and wonder. All the way up until he gets up from the grave. It keeps on going on Pentecost because she's in the upper room and God pulls out the Holy Spirit. Don't think that your best days are in the past. Don't think that the stuff he did, he can't do again. He, God is so beyond, he's ready to do more than that. Oh, yeah, he, he's ready to surprise you. He's not done surprising you. And I, I pray this season he'll surprise you. That it just won't be the typical, regular, going through the motions, Christmas season. I pray that he'll surprise you. Speaking of surprise, I saw a video this week of a nine-year-old boy who was in a martial arts class. And the lesson for the day was to blindfold the students so they could learn how to do martial arts without being able to see. So a little boy was doing martial arts with a blindfold and a mask over his head. Now, unbeknownst to him, his father, who is in the army, 
who had been deployed for over a year, had come back. And they had set it up to surprise the son. So when the son started fighting, the father stepped into the room in his military fatigues with gloves on and started sparring with his son. The son didn't know that it was his father sparring with him. And so as they're sparring, the father speaks. And he calls the son. He says to him, keep your guard up. Little boy who's blindfolded, he pauses because he recognizes the voice. But he's like, uh, my dad is gone. He, he's over there fighting ISIS and stuff. I, no, no, no. So he starts again, kicking and swinging. Then the father speaks again, and he tells him something else. Keep your hands up. He says something else to the son. The son pauses because he recognizes the voice. Then he says, Daddy? And he yanks that blindfold off, takes the hood off. He sees his father, and he just runs into his arms. People start clapping. People are crying. Why? Because the father came and surprised his son. I just stopped by to let you know that your father in heaven is not done surprising you. He's not done. He's not done. And when he does it, Give him the glory when he does it. Shout it on the mountain that the Lord has come and he's touched your life again. He's not done doing great things and surprising you. Let's stand for prayer. I wanted to have altar prayer today. You make the altar where you stand because I want to pray for folk who, who need God to break through. Folks facing evil, injustices, folks facing unemployment, folks facing sicknesses, all kind of things are going on. And I think Elder Joe said, uh, one of the folks on the platform, it's not going to be said that we don't have because we didn't ask. We're going to believe God that he can do the impossible still and he can surprise us with his grace. I pray somebody gets a phone call this week that will surprise you. I pray you get an email, something in the mail that will surprise you. I pray that there'll be a restored relationship that will just surprise you, that you didn't see that coming. I pray that God will, will, will bless you. One of our men I met with last week, we just had lunch to catch up, and he was so excited to tell me that he's in a place where he could bless his wife with an automobile. That he was so excited that, that he could bless her. Now, she knew what kind of automobile she was going to get, but he was so thankful that he got to do it. In other words, God surprised him that his income had gone up over time where he could now do the stuff he once dreamt about and he got his wife a double R in this church. Not a Rolls Royce, but a Range Rover. Blessed her. <laughs> Ain't nothing wrong with a Range Rover. Can the church say, hey. May he surprise you with children. May he surprise you with a ring on your finger. May he surprise you with a knight in shining armor or a lady that look good on the inside and out. He can do it. He can pull the adoption papers through. He, he can do it. Don't doubt him. He can surprise you and just blow you away. He can do it. He wants to do it. We look to you, Father. No other help we know. We sing it, Lord. You're a good, good father. 
And when we ask for a fish, you don't give us a snake. When we ask for bread, you don't give us a stone. You know what we need before we even ask. You not only meet our needs, but you give us some of our wants. Everybody in here has had their needs met. We got here this morning. We're clothed in our right mind this morning. You met our needs today. We got enough oxygen today. We got water today. We got food today. You've met our needs today, as you said. But every now and then, Lord, you'll surprise us with some of our wants. You'll surprise us and heal us and do things. You'll fill us with the Holy Spirit and we'll say and do things we thought we've never done. Somebody's going on a mission field. Somebody's going back to school. Somebody's going to start a business. Somebody's going to do this. Somebody's going to do that because the Spirit is moving upon them. Have your way, God. You are not finished. You are our portion. Oh, God, we are your prize. Thank you that you love us so. And Lord, I pray that you would meet the needs of your people. You'll encourage them. As our worship leader said, that they would wait on you and that waiting doesn't have to be passive. It can be active. We're pursuing you as we're waiting on you. We're knocking on doors, waiting on you to open them up. And if you don't open up the door, you know how to open up windows. We're going to trust you. Lord, would you do the impossible for your people? Lord, there are people I know who are hurting. They need some help, God. You're no respecter of persons. I know what you can do. I've seen you do it. And, and Lord, many of us got to remember what you've done in the past so we can have hope for what we need in the present. Some of us still ain't praised you for them doors you opened in the past. We haven't done what Mary did. So, Lord, we're we going to go back and praise you for the stuff you did that we didn't thank you for. Then we're going to praise you on credit for the stuff we need you to do. We're going to praise you. The Magnificat don't stay with Mary. Lord, we can do it too. My soul magnifies the Lord. I will bless the Lord at all times, and his praise shall continually be in my mouth. I'm going to bless God when I would, my flesh would say curse God. No, no, I'm going to bless him. I'm going to praise my way through this. I'm going to thank my way through this. My attitude will determine my altitude. I'm going to be grateful like we sang today. I'm not going to be ruled by what I see. I walk by faith and not by sight. I'm not looking at the things that are seen. That stuff is temporary. What is not seen is eternal. Oh, God, fix my focus. Help me to see you in this thing. Because, Lord, you can do the stuff anytime you want. You're more concerned that we see you. We meet you. We're changed by you. Whether we get the stuff or not after that is irrelevant. It's moved. We need you. I pray for a fresh vision for all of us to see you more clearly, to love you more dearly, to walk with you more nearly. We love you today. Bless this church and everybody associated with it. In Jesus' name, and all of God's people said, amen. amen. If you feel with the Spirit, clap your hands. Clap your hands, oh ye people, and shout unto God with the voice of triumph. Come on, praise him like you're a winner. Praise him like you're an overcomer. Praise him like it's done. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah, hallelujah. We expect you to show up. We anticipate your arrival. We know you're coming. Come through, Jesus. God bless you. God bless you. Have a wonderful day. We'll see you Wednesday night. We'll see you Wednesday night. Come on out for our last huddle group Wednesday night. Bless you.